We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 105 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys today as we start with South Carolina having a huge Spurs Up weekend. South Carolina picking up five commits over the weekend. I'll talk about those commits each individually, break all of them down, how they fit in this 2020 recruiting class. Also, some basketball news and notes is Seventh Woods is a Gamecock. I'll talk about the article I wrote from Friday, how he fits into what Frank Martin is building at South Carolina. Also, some baseball news. Uh, track national champions as well. Your listener questions, tons of listener questions. And we have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks golfer and now current PGA Tour pro Wesley Bryan as he talks about his career in junior golf at South Carolina, winning the 2017 RBC Heritage, and much, much more. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. We are in the midst of the offseason, folks. There is not a lot going on. There's no South Carolina Gamecock sporting events going on, but that does not mean you don't need to download SeatGeek and get your tickets to literally anything and everything you're attending. Concerts, comedy club events, festivals you're going to. If you want to go ahead and buy your South Carolina Gamecocks football tickets early, not a bad idea to go ahead and scoop those tickets up while they're still available, especially uh, some of the bigger games this year on the schedule. Be sure to download SeatGeek. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. It's really that simple. I love SeatGeek. They're the best ticket buying app by far. They're the only one I use. They actually rate the tickets for you based on a ticket rating system so you know exactly what you're going to get before you click the buy button. You know if you're getting a really good deal. You know if you're overpaying for the tickets, which is definitely a huge thing when you're going to a concert, when you're going to a football game, you need to know what type of value you're getting for the tickets, and SeatGeek provides just that for you. Again, go download SeatGeek. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. What kind of work do you do? I appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show. As always, got a packed show for you guys today. I'm very, very excited about today's show. After what was a very fun weekend for South Carolina, we'll start on the recruiting front. Obviously, South Carolina hosted a bunch of different recruits this weekend, had a ton of camps on campus, and the Spurs Up tweets from head coach Will Muschamp came a-flowing. I mean, it went crazy on Twitter. All you Gamecock fans, you know, it went nuts on Twitter. South Carolina fans scrambling everywhere, trying to figure out who was who, what was what, which Spurs up went to what. We didn't know who the third Spurs up was for two days or three days, I believe it was. 
just a madness all weekend, which is a fantastic thing. The recruiting ball really got rolling over this past weekend. Um, and I want to talk about each of the five commitments, kind of break down who those guys are, what they bring to the table for the 2020 class especially. We'll start three-star defensive back O'Donnell Fortune, um, a guy who went very, very under the radar, um, very – very much a sleeper-type recruit. He was offered by Will Muschamp at the camp over the weekend. Like I said, a very underrated prospect. Um, it's funny, you know, I, from, from one of my sources, we kind of knew O'Donnell Fortune and Makia Scott were going to be two guys that were probably going to be committing over the weekend, especially Fortune if he got the offer. Um, I actually got this, this, uh, this DM from a fan um, who was talking about Fortune, who apparently he's good friends with the Sumter head football coach, which is where, which is where Fortune is from. Um, Basically said that he um, really raved on the kid, obviously. He said that he's a very underrated prospect. Believes he's Cam Smith or J.C. Horn type good. And it really did remind me kind of of the, of the Cam Smith recruitment, if you will, where Cam Smith was a guy, you know, kind of similar. I feel like Will Muschamp is a very big camp type coach. He likes to see guys in camp, and if they impress him, he will throw the offer out there. There's no question about that. And I think there's been guys for, as well for South Carolina that, He's had at camps. They haven't done so hot, and maybe they backed off a little bit. I think camps are extremely important to Will Muschamp, seeing guys in person, having that connection, seeing them ball on the field in front of him. I think he really takes that. That's something he really takes big into account when he's recruiting a prospect. I've been told that O'Donnell Fortune is a similar type prospect to Cam Smith or J.C. Horn. Now, that is a big claim to make, especially when you're talking J.C. Horn or what he did his freshman season. But overall – I can kind of see it. You know, Cam Smith was a similar type prospect, a guy that not quite as under the radar as O'Donnell Fortune, as I'll be completely honest, because I didn't even really know who he was until about a day before that commitment happened. But, um, you know, overall guy, he's got length, he's got speed, a guy that has a similar body type, body build to Cam Smith. I could see him being that type of pro- type of prospect. I've also heard from this the, uh, the same fan that sent us a message, basically just talked to, uh, talk to the Sumter head coach, Basically saying it sounds like Fortune's 100% Gamecock. It sounds like he's really shutting down his recruitment. Again, you know he's an underrated prospect because as soon as South Carolina offered him, there's been some other offers roll in. He was supposed to visit Georgia this upcoming weekend. I think Tennessee may have offered him as well. Um, but what, from what it sounds like, the things that Fortune's dream school has always been South Carolina. So um, I think a good pickup for South Carolina, again, this is the type of guy that South Carolina – these are the type of guys that South Carolina has to get and turn into four or five-star quality players. Again, you know, I don't want to undersell South Carolina at all and that South Carolina is never going to be a top five every single year recruiting class. But the history of South Carolina shows you that South Carolina's best bet is lock down the five stars, especially in-state that you can. Um, lock down those guys. Get as many as you can. But at South Carolina, you need to be able to get guys like an O'Donnell Fortune, like a Cam Smith, like a J- – you know, not necessarily a J.C. Horn, but Cam Smith, O'Donnell Fortune – other guys that are maybe under the radar and develop those guys, be able to coach those guys up to a four- or five-star quality athlete. Um, also, the other thing as well, whenever Will Muschamp and Tavares Robinson put their, you know, whenever they trust to offer a guy, whenever they put their faith in a guy, they're going to give him an offer and they want him to come to school. I think Will Muschamp and T-Rob have earned the benefit of the doubt, in my opinion. So anytime they're offering a defensive back or getting him to come to South Carolina, I think you have to feel pretty good about what South Carolina is getting. Because again, these are two guys that they are defensive dudes. They played the position. They know the position. They've seen elite level NFL kind of guys at the position. They know what they're doing when they're giving out these offers to whoever they're giving them to. So overall, I trust one must champion T-Rob 100%. And again, from the things I've heard about O'Donnell Fortune, 
Really, really good pickup for South Carolina. Really good commitment. It sounds like he is 100% Gamecock. And this is a guy I'd be very, very surprised to see him decommit at any point. Um, let's talk about the next commit. Three-star offensive lineman Trey Jones, a guy that, you know, a little bit, again, maybe somebody that South Carolina fans, I know me in particular, had not heard that name a ton, to be honest. Um, but an offensive guard, South Carolina picks up 6'4", 285, out of Abbeville, South Carolina, plays for Abbeville High School. One note about him that I read, again, kind of undersized at 6'2". He's not exactly the tallest dude in the world. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you with this one. I, I'm not 100% sure if he will stay on the offensive line. I don't really know. Um, I'm sure that's something Will Muschamp and his staff have a much better idea about since they offered him, obviously. But he's extremely athletic. I believe I read somewhere he ran a 4-7 40-yard dash, which for an offensive lineman is completely insane. I mean, that that is – that is extreme athleticism. Now, I'm not saying he can't play offensive line for South Carolina, but I am saying that for most guys who play offensive line, 6'2", 285, again, he'll get bigger, but 6'2", the height issue, the height is not necessarily what you see in a Division One offensive lineman. Normally, the big thing with offensive line, you know, is height, and you look at his other, uh, uh, his other offers, Appalachian State, Army, Campbell, and Coastal Carolina. Those are normally the type of guys that take a shorter offensive lineman, if you will. They'll just be completely honest with you. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if this is a guy that plays defensive line. I mean, you just look at the athleticism in a four, seven, 40 yard dash. Again, this is another situation where I say fans trust the wolf, trust Eric Wolford. That man has earned his reputation for what he does. He has earned the trust of South Carolina fans. Whoever he brings in, whoever he sees fit to offer and bring in South Carolina is going to be a guy that is going to make an impact in some type of way. It's going to be, he's a quality player. Eric Wolford deserves that trust. So, again, if he's going to play offensive line, I 100% trust Eric Wolford in that, hey, I, there's nothing wrong with having an offensive lineman that is that athletic. I mean, you can certainly use a guy like that at the tackles, really anywhere, all over the place. But it would not shock me at all to see a guy like this switch over from the offensive to the defensive line. I mean, 6'2", 285, and is that quick? Would not surprise me at all. But, again, but again trust the Wolf. Trust the Wolf. 100%. Um, let's go to the next commitment. Three-star defensive end, Makias Scott. I'll be honest with you guys. This is the one that I probably know the least about. Um, Makias Scott overall, you know, good side, 6'3", 300. Could be a force definitely on the inside. He's out of the state of Georgia, which is always a nice pickup. Gainesville, Georgia. Plays at Gainesville High School. You know, overall, his other offers, Louisville, Syracuse, Boston College, and Cincinnati. Um this is one, again, I haven't watched a bunch of film, really any film on him at all. This is one that I don't know much about. Um, but a guy, again, just for a South Carolina team that is looking to build up its defensive line to continue to develop its front seven, because I, I really believe that Will Muschamp and the staff, and rightfully so, are committed to the trenches are where games are going to be won for South Carolina, offensively and defensively. And I, I think that stands true to this day. I mean, we can get all fancy with the spread offenses we want and stuff like that, but you look at teams like Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, the reason they're so good, they have the best players in the trenches. That's really what it takes. You've obviously got to have playmakers on the outside too, but you build a football team from the inside out. You don't build a football team from the outside in. Um, so overall, I mean, like the pickup, 6'3", 300, 303 to be exact. Again, a guy that's going to bring size, girth to the middle for South Carolina and, again, continue to revamp that front seven. Another guy that's going to continue to revamp that front seven, and I know someone – that South Carolina fans are extremely excited about, as am I, is four-star defensive lineman Alex Huntley. Huge pickup. Huge, huge pickup out of Hammond High School. This is something I think a lot of South Carolina fans, if you really follow recruiting, 
Um, I definitely heard from my sources that it sounded like he was probably going to be a Gamecock. It wasn't a matter of if, but when he would announce. Um, I know a lot of fans, the first question they ask is, does this make us land Jordan Birch now? Are we going to get Jordan Birch? Because Alex Huntley and Jordan Birch are obviously teammates. I'm not going to say 100% it's going to. I'm definitely not going to say 100%, but I do think it could be the domino that does land Jordan Birch at South Carolina. I mean, I already talked about on last week's show, I think as a South Carolina fan, I think if you're a Gamecock fan, you've got to be very, very optimistic. I really think you should be optimistic with the Jordan Birch recruitment and how things have gone, but getting Alex Huntley obviously only helps that situation. Speaking on Huntley specifically, um, his head coach, obviously, Eric Kimry, all Gamecock fans know who he is. He's a guy that talks a lot through different radio outlets, his podcast, stuff like that. He's a guy spoke extremely high of Alex Huntley. He's a great kid on and off the field. I mean, he spoke as high of him to say that he thinks the kid could run for governor one day. It seems like a guy with a really great head on his shoulders, especially you watch his commitment video. He seems very committed again to not only getting better on the field, which he's already a really good player, um, and probably is going to be, I, I expect fully to be a really good player at South Carolina, but it seems like a kid that's going to do great things off the field too in the classroom, in the community, stuff like that. He's 6'4", 270 overall. I mean, just great size. You look at his offer list. I mean, this was a huge get for South Carolina again. Arkansas, Georgia, Georgia State, LSU, Michigan, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Stanford, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia. I mean, pretty much anywhere and everywhere he could have went. Um, so, again, huge pickup. I don't have to say how big of a pickup it is. I'll tell you this, and I don't want to make you throw up in your mouth when I say this, but the prospect or the guy he reminds me of the most he reminds me of Christian Wilkins, uh, a better version of Christian Wilkins, a guy that's very big. Again, 6'4", 270, and I'm sure he's going to get bigger. Extremely athletic, though. And, and, again, I think this is a guy 110% should play early and often at South Carolina. And I, I think, honestly, um, could be one of the guys we look back on and say, Alex Huntley, that was a huge pickup because look what he's doing now at USC. I, I think could be a guy like that. And, again, it could be the domino. It could be the domino that starts the Jordan Birch saga, if you will. I, I'm not saying 100%. I have no idea. But it certainly does not hurt to get his teammate because you know they're good buddies and they're talking and stuff like that. So um, last one, the last Spurs up, which came out today, actually, recording this on Tuesday afternoon, transfer long snapper Matt Oliveira uh, out of Maryland. So South Carolina gets a long snapper out of Maryland. I know it's funny. A lot of fans, it's not the Spurs up we all expected. Um, do I have any intel or information on the kid? No, I do not. The only thing I want to say to you fans is that, hey, special teams matters too, all right? We, we got to give some love to the long snapper. So, again, overall, though, a fantastic weekend of recruiting. Back-to-back -back really huge weekends. Um, I know the first weekend you only got one commitment out of, out of it, but I think seeing what happened over this past weekend, that first weekend really set up what we just saw happen. So, you know, Will Muschamp and his staff are wasting no time on the recruiting trail, and it's extremely exciting to see. Again, it's just so much fun. I know the Spurrier era and all that's very long gone, but it's so much fun to see a staff that recruits as hard as these guys do and really gets after it on the recruiting trail as hard as these guys do because we all know how important, how important recruiting is. Um, it, it's massive, obviously. It's the lifeblood of college football, so very, very exciting stuff. Um, all right, let's move into some basketball. Obviously, South Carolina picking up a, some huge news some huge, huge news on Friday. Uh, Seventh Woods basically putting on his Instagram story. He was basically at orientation, had his Carolina card, which gave us indication that he is a Gamecock. Seventh Woods is a Gamecock. It's been a long time coming. Obviously, he went to UNC first, decides to transfer, 
was down to South Carolina, Michigan, and I believe Arizona. That last one might be wrong. But anyways, was down to three schools, picks the Gamecocks. He's finally coming to Columbia, the local product. Very, very exciting. Now, fans want to get not upset, I guess, but frustrated. They're not quite as excited as you would hope. Some people are. Most are. 95% are. But the 5% basically saying, oh, what are we getting? We're getting a guy that had two and a half points per game, one rebound per game, 2.1 assists per game. Let me just address that really quickly. Yes, his stats at North Carolina were not good. His stats were not good. I mean, 2.5 points per game, that's nothing. One rebound, 2.1 assists, nothing. Nothing to brag about at all. This is a dude that went to North Carolina to play basketball. You cannot say that this is not a huge pickup for Frank Martin, that basketball program. I, you just can't say that. And when you when you watch highlights of this kid at North Carolina, the ability's there. You can see it. And I want to talk about exactly what he brings to the table because um, I'm not sure if you guys read the article. I put an article out on Friday. The title of the article was, so what exactly are the Gamecocks getting in UNC transfer seventh woods? Well, simply put, the first thing I saw from the highlights, and there's a video in that article, um, his offensive and defensive highlights, The first thing I want to say they're getting is defense. I think they're getting a guy that's really willing to stick his face in the fan and play hard defense, which is exactly what Frank Martin asks of his players and wants his guys to do. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be the prototypical guy. He's going to be their best defender. He's not going to be the next Dwayne Notice or anything like that. But the fact that he's willing to grind it out, play tough defense, I mean, despite what happened last year and probably what's going to continue to happen with the fast-paced offense and scoring a lot – we all know Frank Martin does. He wants to slow it down. He wants to play defense. He wants to win win games 62 to 58. That's just his style of basketball. Um, so I think getting a guy in here, again, Seventh Woods being a guy that's willing, just willing to play defense. In today's basketball, most guys really aren't even willing to play defense. Getting a guy that's willing to play hard defense for you, and I think Frank Martin's obviously only going to hone that craft even more and make him better on the defensive end, I think that says a lot about the kid. The other thing that he has to me is athleticism. Just watch the tape on this kid. Just watch the highlights of this kid. There's no chance in my mind you can watch him and say he's not athletic. Again, this is a guy that got a scholarship in North Carolina to play basketball. One of the best programs in the country. So, again, while the stats weren't there, this kid can play defense, and he's very, very, very athletic. There's no lack of talent with this kid. He has all the physical tools. He's quick. He has agility. I think he's got a good basketball IQ as well. And, I mean, when you – it's funny, his stats in USC, UNC weren't good. You put him on South Carolina's current roster, I'm telling you, I don't think there are many guys on that roster that are more athletic than a seventh woods right now. I, I just don't. I, I just don't. And, again, I do want to mention as well, he's not playing this year. Um, he's got to sit out one year to do transfer rules, but he will have two years to play one at South Carolina. So, unfortunately, won't get to see him play this season, but still a big pickup. The last thing, though – Getting back to the point, the last thing I see with uh, with Seven Woods, I mean, he can shoot the basketball. I mean, the points don't show it. His stats don't show it. He had very, very limited action at UNC. But, again, look at the program he's at. He's at UNC. Like, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are really good players that go to a school like that and don't start. I'm just saying. I'm not saying he doesn't have a lot to prove because he does. He's got a lot to prove because he's a guy that came out of high school with so much hype and hasn't filled that potential yet. But what I am saying is that, Again, the kid has talent. I mean, he shot last season, he shot just under 42% from the field, including 40% from three-point range. I mean, those are good numbers. I mean, those are really good numbers. So, um, you know, he needs to get better shooting free throws. He only shot 64.3%. But overall, 
you know, how many guys at South Carolina have shoot 42% from the field and 40% from three average for the season? I mean, I'm not looking at it. Maybe they had more than I think, but it doesn't feel like they had very many. So, you know, I know a lot of South Carolina fans, the first thing they'll say, and it's kind of funny, is that, hey, you should have never, never left Columbia. And that's definitely another conversation for another show. But overall, as a South Carolina fan, you've got to be ecstatic getting this kid. I think it's huge for Frank Martin's program, obviously. Just getting a guy like this to – to make the decision to come back home. You know, I think it's a decision. I'm not in the kid's head, but I bet it was a decision where he just felt like he needs to get around a support system where people really are a huge fan of him. Because I think people in this area and in South Carolina do still love Seventh Woods and think think highly of Seventh Woods. They're going to be cheering hard as they can for Seventh Woods. And I think that probably had a big, big part in the decision. You don't want to go, go to some other school and just be another guy again. You know what I mean? Come back to South Carolina. Come home where everybody knows you. Everybody already loves you. Really, everybody already is very excited about you. Um, and, again, I, I'm not saying he doesn't have a ton to prove because he does. He's got a ton to prove. When you come out of high school with as much hype as he had, he's got a ton to prove. But overall, to me, I think South Carolina got a good one. And only time – I mean, obviously, only time will tell how good he can be for South Carolina. Um, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be very interesting to watch. Um, other baseball news and those Diving into some baseball. Reed Morgan – signs with the Seattle Mariners um obviously he was drafted in the 13th round his status was up in the air he officially signs what does it mean for next year's pitching staff obviously a a a bit of a blow I will say this about Reed Morgan signing I'm not surprised in the slightest I think Reed Morgan's the kind of guy listen I, I like Morgan he did great things for South Carolina who can ever forget the memorable strut he had off the mound against Clemson when he stared that guy down that was just fantastic he gave South Carolina fans great memories he threw a lot of great innings but Honestly, when you look at Reed Morgan, especially projecting to the pro level, I don't think he's a guy that would have came back and got drafted any higher than what he did. I just I think that Reed Morgan really maximized this year. He maximized his junior year, which is what you're supposed to do as a junior, by the way. You're supposed to maximize that year because in your junior year, you have the leverage versus when you're a senior, the teams that are giving you the contracts, they have all the leverage because what's your other option? Right? You can't go back to school. So, um I don't think he would have gotten drafted any higher. Again, I think he's a guy that he's going to get hit around a little bit at the pro level. I'll be honest. I think people might be surprised to hear that, but I think he will get hit around at the pro level. He does not blow you. He doesn't blow it by you with the fastball. Um, so, you know, overall, I think he's a guy that's going to have to learn just to live down. He's going to have to hit his spots and locate every time he goes out there because if he does not, again, he's going to get punished. These are minor league professional hitters. I mean, they're good hitters. So, but overall, again, you know, happy for Reed Morgan again. I think it's a guy who 100% deserves it, what he did for South Carolina, being really their ace in 2000, uh, 2019. But overall, what does it mean for the pitching staff? I, I think it just – you just continue to shuffle now. I, I think South Carolina, you're going to come into next season with as many questions as you had this year, really, as far as your pitching is concerned. I mean, again, you think of – that was your one starter that would have been coming back. I mean, you, I guess you could say maybe Brett Carey is another one, at least dependable starter. I guess you could say Brett Carey is another one, but overall – you know, who do you really have coming back and you depend on? It, it's going to be a lot of questions to be answered by Mark Kingston and especially Skylar Mead. Um, the status of Luke Berryhill, I think, is another thing we should discuss. So, I said – I'm not sure if I said it on the show last week, but I definitely put it on social media that Luke Berryhill's father put on Facebook that he was returning. They didn't get the offer they that they wanted. He was returning. Apparently, that was before the draft. So, Luke Berryhill – I forget if he was the one drafted after Morgan or Morgan before him, but they were picked like 10 parts or 10 picks apart from each other in the 13th round. Um, 
So Luke Berryhill has a decision to make, no doubt. He's been going to pro workouts, going to workouts uh, for different teams, and I definitely think there's going to be a decision, decision there. That's going to be one certainly to watch very closely if you're a South Carolina fan because, you know, I'm not saying that cancel the season if Luke Berryhill leaves. I mean, you certainly can't say that, but it would be a major loss for South Carolina. Um, you'd be starting over not only with your ace, but also with your catcher. I, I like what I saw from Wes Clark. I think Wes Clark could be the everyday guy. I really do. But uh, I don't know. To, to lose a guy like Luke Berry, who really caught every game for you, was, was you know, pretty, pretty clutch at the plate. Again, you think back to that 14-3 win over Clemson and what he did in that one. I think he hit two homers in that one. I mean, overall, it's going to be interesting to see. Again, that's, I think this is one that South Carolina fans, you're going to be holding your breath for a little bit here. Uh, I think he's got till June 15th, maybe. Um, I don't know why that, that, that date just came to my head. I think that's the date, though, but we'll see. Anyways, that's going to be one South Carolina fans are definitely going to be watching for sure. I, I, for Barry Hill, I think he could go higher than 13th round just because I think it's a little different for a hitter. I mean, listen, Reed Morgan from one year to the next is not going to throw really any harder than he did that previous year. Luke Berryhill, I think, could certainly come back and be a 350 hitter. I really do. 350 hitter with, you know, double-digit home runs, 50-plus um, RBIs. I, I really do. I think he could be that guy. And if he does that, no matter if he's a senior or not, he's going to get drafted pretty damn highly. So, it's a decision yet that he has to make. I mean, again, you can never knock any of these kids for making that decision because, again, this is – you know, you don't know what's life-changing money for them, first of all. And then second of all, this is their dream. I mean, especially in baseball, you don't know if you're going to get that call again. It may seem so, you know, it may seem so common or so common sense, I guess you could say, that, oh, you'll definitely get drafted next year, blah, blah, blah. But you don't know that. You don't know that for a fact. So you can never blame these kids for for making that decision, you know, for pulling the trigger and going to the draft, stuff like – or going, you know, signing their contract, stuff like that. But overall, if I had to predict right now, I – you know, it's tough. If I had to predict right now, I I, I'm, I think Barry Hill would sign. I really do. I don't know. I think seeing Reed Morgan go, I think Barry Hill might pull the trigger too. I just – I don't know. I, obviously, you'd love to have him back, but I don't know. I just – I think there's a lot of potential there for him to come back and be a big-time hitter in the SEC. I think there's more left on the table. That's That's – if I was trying to recruit him back, that's what I would tell him. Like, hey, you had a good year. You got drafted 13th round. Congratulations. But I think there's so much left on the table for you. You're not going to have to catch every game next year. You're going to be able to just DH on those days and really hit and show off your skills. And I think you can be a 350 hitter, hit double-digit bombs at 50 RBIs for us. I think you can be one of the best hitters in the SEC. I think he could do that. I really do. I think he could do that. So we'll see what happens. Um, Lastly, of the guys that signed, listen, I don't have all the guys that signed uh, in the pro draft here are pulled up, especially the signees, if you will. But one big notable, Tyler Callahan, a big hitting shortstop out of Jacksonville. Um, he, he was drafted in the third round, signed with the Reds for $1.5 million. So, And for that kind of money to be in the third round is pretty insane. So definitely cannot knock Tyler Callahan for taking $1.5 million. Um, Really quickly, before I get into some listener questions, because we have a ton of them, I uh, want to give a quick shout-out to the track team. National champs, some individual national championships. Quincy Hall wins the 400-meter hurdles. And Wadaline Jonathus, Jonathus, I'm probably saying that wrong, wins the 400-meter individual. Shout-out to the track team. Golf clap for the track team national champions. Always fun to see Gamecocks and national champions in the same sentence is what I would say. So, fantastic job by those guys. Uh, and girls, I will say, and girls. 
Uh, all right, before I get into some listener questions, I guess some announcements I can get you really quickly. Forums on the website. Forums are finally at the Spurs Up show. We'll see how they do. I made the forum specifically for one, fans to interact, obviously. Fans of the Spurs Up show, fans that are just Gamecocks in general, to be able to go on, interact, chat. There's a lot of different forums online, some that are paid, some that are not. I figured, why not? Let's go ahead, throw the forum, plug in on the website, see if fans interact. It's completely for you guys. Whether you use it or not, want to use it, whatever, I'll be on there chiming in as well, obviously. And also made them for different pieces of content that I make, that we make, that you know, are opinionated, that you can have an opinion on. I think it would be fun to talk about those pieces, kind of go back and forth, see what you have to say. I think it's always fun. One of my favorite parts about doing the Spurs Up show is interacting with fans, interacting with people. You guys know I love doing the interviews with different guests. I love interacting with fans, too. I really, really do truly enjoy it, hearing from the fans, you know, talk to Gamecock fans. I think it's just so much fun to talk Gamecocks with other Gamecock fans. So that is a place to do it. Also, if you haven't done so, I do want to make this announcement. If you haven't done so yet, please be sure to go rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Please be sure to give us a five-star review. It helps other people find the show helps other people find the podcast. If you're listening to this right now, stop, click the pause button, go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to the Spurs Up show, go leave a quick five-star review. It would mean the world to me, and it might help another Gamecock fan who's never heard of the Spurs Up show find the show and get tuned in. All right, let's get into some listener questions now as well. Got a lot of listener questions. We'll start. Uh, Daniel Mabry, 16, do you think we could get Jordan Birch? I 100% think South Carolina can get Jordan Birch. And I think it's something that South Carolina fans should be optimistic about as well. Um, John underscore Wilgus underscore IV. Reggie Grimes, true possibility? I, I mean, is it possible? Anything's possible. I mean, Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. I mean, yeah, it's possible, but I don't think they'll get him. I think he goes to Alabama. Um, Real Josh Will 90. What will it take for another upset over the Crimson Tide? It's a good question. It's going to take South Carolina playing their A-plus game Jake Bentley having the game of his career. South Carolina's front seven having their having being better than we're expecting. The Gamecocks secondary being just all over the field, all over Bama's wide receivers, and Alabama playing their C minus game. And I think South Carolina pulls the upset. Now, don't hate me for saying that. You might be like, well, why does it take all that? I think you could almost argue that that's what happened in 2010. I mean, you can't argue that Bama played their best game that day. South Carolina did. And I think that's what it would take for South Carolina to pull the monumental upset. And I think that 2010 Bama team, this team is a lot better than that 2010 Bama team. And I don't know, we don't know yet if this South Carolina team is as good as that 2010 South Carolina team. Only time will tell. Um, Ranger Will Garrett, who is this mystery third commit? The third Spurs up was a mystery till today. I, I know you submitted this question Sunday, so appreciate it. But Matt Oliveira, the transfer long snapper from Maryland. Um, snack underscore boy says, what do you think Carolina's football record will be this upcoming season? I've said before on record, haven't made my predictions yet officially, but gun to head right now, I'd say seven and five. That's what I'm going to say. John underscore. And I give all, I have the ability to change that by the way. Do not hold me to that. Uh, John underscore Reamer ABC. If we don't make a bowl this year is will Muschamp out. If he is, what does it mean for recruits? I'm oh, sorry, I don't know why I read that like I was crazy. If he is, what does it mean for recruits? If we don't make a bowl this year, no, I do not think Will Muschamp is out. I just do not think Will Muschamp is out. I think it would be a bad move to fire Will Muschamp. You cannot fire a coach after four seasons and think your program is going in the right direction. Exactly. You just answer your own question. What does it mean for recruits? It would destroy recruiting. 
It would destroy. How could the next coach recruit at South Carolina? How could the next coach convince kids, I'm going to be here for the long term? Because, I mean, those kids don't know. If he goes five and seven, he might get fired. That, that would just get so used against South Carolina negatively. Obviously, a bad season would get used against them negatively too. But I think Will Muschamp could convince guys, hey, we're still building. You're the piece we need. We're still building. I think you're seeing the effects of it right now. South Carolina right now ranked ninth, by the way. Something I forgot to mention earlier. South Carolina ranked ninth overall in recruiting right now for uh, 247 Sports. Ninth overall in the, I believe, the composite or something like that, Whatever, however they do the rankings. South Carolina's putting together a really good class, all you need to know. Um, so, no, to answer your question, if they don't make a bowl this year, Will Muschamp is not out of a job. He's not. Now, if they go 2-10, and 10, I mean, that's a whole different situation. I don't think that's going to happen. If they go 2-10, and 10, though, 1-11, and 11, obviously we're talking a whole different conversation. Um, but, no, if they go 5-7 and seven and miss a bowl, no, he's fine. And if he does out, yeah, it's going to kill recruiting, so don't do it. Um, or our K.E. Steven. Yeah, or our K.E. Steven. Does USC Columbia football have walk-ons? Yes, they do. If you want to walk on, go right ahead and let us know how it goes, by the way. I would love to hear that. Um, all right. More questions. Cat underscore way. We landing the Hammond duo question mark. We already got one half of it. I think South Carolina, again, your fans should be extremely, I know I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic about Jordan Birch. I'm optimistic about landing him. You should be too. I mean, it, I'll say this again, getting Alex Huntley does not 100% guarantee that Jordan Birch is coming to South Carolina, but it sure don't hurt. It sure don't hurt. I will say that. Um, no question, but love the show. Fuck the critics. John underscore Wilgus underscore IV. John means the world. Appreciate your support. And I 110% agree with you. Fuck the critics. Um, AJ Bowers underscore 11. This might be the best recruiting class we've had since 2013. I, I would agree. And here's what I'd say. I, I, I would equate this class more so to me to the 2007 recruiting class at South Carolina. One that's gotten a lot of publicity, different articles written about it. I think the state did a where are they now type article with all those 2007 recruits. And if you remember, the 2007 class, I believe, was the first class that really – it was the first class that really had guys that made a difference for South Carolina and started the run they went on. Now, again, listen, it's – we'll know how good this recruiting class is two or three years from now. That's what Will Muschamp loves to say, and I tend to agree with him because hype is just that. It's hype. We don't know how these kids are going to pan out once they get on campus. But this class reminds me of the 07 class in the sense that rankings-wise, how good it could be, guys that are going to come in and be impact players. Like, you think of the names in this class. I talked about Alex Huntley. Could Jordan Birch be a guy? Tank Bigsby, could he be a guy if he commits? Marshawn Lloyd, though. Luke Doty. Um, Mike Wyman. You know, Daquan Stewart. Daquan Bobo Stewart. Could those be – I feel like these are names we could be talking about five, six years from now and talking about how important this recruiting class was. I see it sort of similar as 2007, but I agree – Definitely probably the best class we've had since that 2013, 2013 year. R. McMillan, excuse me, R. McMillan 13. What does it take to get Jordan Birch to stay in Columbia? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I mean, him being local is huge. And the whole recruitment's going through his mom, which is the big thing. Um, so I think really what it's going to take more so than anything is selling him on early playing time because he will play early, early playing time, and selling his family on just that family, being close to home, being right in town, the comfort of USC. I think selling all those things to him, they're, you know, they know the selling points much better than I do because they know the kid personally. But I think selling the things that are important to him, whatever they are, um, I think that's how USC gets him. 
And again, Alex Huntley committing obviously helps. Um, Him being a local kid helps. The facility helps. You know, him getting early playing time helps. I think there are a lot of reasons why Jordan Burke should pick, or, you know, we'll see if he picks, but a lot of reasons why he would pick South Carolina. Ben Smitty, 2017. Is this recruiting class going to be the best in USC's history? I'm not going to say that quite yet because I'll be completely honest with you. I said that last year. I, I, I did. I, I, I think I got a little overexcited after Zach Pickens committed and said this has the potential to be one of the best classes in USC history. And it was a good class, but I wouldn't say it was one of the best in USC history. So I'm not saying it doesn't have the potential to be the best because it, it just damn sure might be. I mean, you look at the guys that South Carolina still got out there. I mean, it damn sure might be. But let's just hold off for the best class in history talk, and let's just see if it happens. I think there's a potential it could. Ben Smitty, 2017, again. Why do you think big-time prospects are coming to USC instead of UGA, Clemson, and Bama? I, I think it's very simple. I mean, the first thing, saw the indoor facility on Friday. 100% that facility is a game-changer. There is no question in my mind that facility, and I'm sure a lot of you listening have seen it as well. It's immaculate. I mean, that facility is 110% a game-changer. I think the other reasons as well, I think Will, I, it would shock me if they weren't doing this. Will Muschamp, T-Rob, you know, Brian McClendon, the entire staff, the entire, entire staff is selling kids on the same thing Steve Spurrier sold kids on, is that, you know, you can go to UGA, Clemson, Alabama, be another guy. You can go there and be another guy and win a championship and be just another guy. Or you can come to South Carolina and be the first. You can make history. Because that's the crazy thing to me. Even as good as those Spurrier teams were, as we're all painfully aware of, they never won the SEC. They never won a national title. They won the SEC East one time. So there are still so many firsts at South Carolina that can be achieved. And I think you have to sell that to kids. You tell a guy like a Jordan Burch, like a Marshawn Lloyd, like a Tank Biggs, the list goes on and on, all these guys are recruiting. You tell those guys, though, hey, you can go to any of these other schools and, you know, you can be a good player there, a decent player, somebody that fans will think, oh, yeah, yeah, he was a pretty good player you know, was on that championship team. He was solid. Or, or you can come to South Carolina and be remembered as a legend. You can be remembered as a legend for the rest of your life. No matter what you do in life, no matter what you do, you'll be a legend. I think that's got to be the selling point Will Muschamp are selling these kids. Also, obviously, South Carolina versus those other schools has the advantage early playing time. While Will Muschamp is still building his team, building depth, these kids all have the advantage of, hey, you can go sit on the bench at Alabama for two years if you want. Or you can come to South Carolina and come play. Because all these kids want to get to the league. And it's hard to get to the league from the bench. It is. It's just hard to get to the league from the bench. So I think a, a mixture of different things are certainly the selling points that Will Muschamp and staff are using. And, again, I think you're starting to see all of it come together with what we're seeing in recruiting right now. Last question. Um, Julius Poello dot Hampton got, I probably pronounced the crap out of that wrong. Sorry. Um, do we get Jordan now also again? Like I said, I don't know 110%, but I think fans, you should be very, very, very optimistic. Um, I think the prospects will get, are good. We'll just say that. I think the prospects are good again, where there's smoke, there's fire. I know that he, you know, he got the, some people saying he's going to South Carolina. There's, you know, obviously just how many times he has visited South Carolina, Obviously, him being at the facility again last week, you know, just just different things. There, there's enough there, in my opinion, to where we can plug it all together and say, you know what, there's a pretty good chance he comes to South Carolina because I don't know why else he'd be doing what he's doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think fans should be feel really, really good 
about not just Jordan Birch, but the way this 2020 recruiting class is shaping up. Um, all right, like I mentioned earlier, guys, got a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks golfer and current PGA Tour pro Wesley Bryan. I'm going to get to in just a second. Again, before I do, this is an interview brought to you again by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use just because we're in the offseason doesn't mean there aren't a ton of different things to buy your tickets to, whether you're going to concerts, comedy club events, uh, festivals. If you're getting tickets to sporting events, maybe you're going to a Major League Baseball game, maybe you're getting your South Carolina Gamecocks football tickets early. Be sure to use our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. So um, wherever you want to sit, they have they, SeatGeek has a way of breaking everything down for you where you know exactly what you're getting before you click the buy button. So you know if you're getting a really, really good deal. You know if you're overpaying for tickets. So you'll never be confused again. And we all want to make sure we're getting what we want when we click the purchase button, and we're getting the best deal. Who doesn't love a good deal, right? So please be sure, again, download SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks golfer and current PGA Tour pro, Wesley Bryan. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that was a standout junior golfer, was a standout for the Gamecocks as well from 2008 to 2012, has had a very successful professional career as well on the Web.com Tour and secured his first win on the PGA Tour in 2017 at the RBC Heritage. Uh, I'm pleased to welcome the show PGA Tour golfer and former Gamecock Wesley Bryan. Wesley, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, absolutely. I don't know about the whole standout thing at South Carolina, but... <laughs> Yeah, we're here. What's well, I, I will tell you this. I'd say you were standout because there were literally too many accolades to read for you. And before I get into that, I want to go kind of before that, obviously, your um, junior golf career, obviously a guy that, you know, has had a lot of success. You went into match play in 2008 at the USAM. Um, just kind of talk about, you know, we'll go back even further than that, kind of what got you into golf. I know your family is really big into golf, um, but just sort of your upbringing in the game of golf itself. Um, yeah, so my dad was a club professional slash he, he played as well and uh, had a, a background in the game and teaching it. So uh, at a very young age, that's kind of when I got a golf club in my hand and started just following my brother and him around to the golf course. And uh, yeah, fell in love with the game from there. For sure. So your brother, uh, you know, your older brother, George, he was a three-time All-American for South Carolina from 2006, 2010. Uh, as far as when you were being recruited, when you were coming up, was there ever any doubt that you were going to South Carolina? Kind of what was your recruitment like for you? Uh, so I started getting letters, shoot, early as eighth grade from South Carolina and Clemson. And then uh, as we progressed up the ranks in junior golf, I started getting them from a little more – outside the state schools and um it was really down between South Carolina Clemson and Oklahoma State were really the only three that I really considered but with George already being at South Carolina it was kind of a no-brainer for me uh just walking into an environment one that I was comfortable with and uh being close to home and being able to play for Billy Mack as well um were all the the deciding factors that, that made my decision a little bit easier for sure. So we've had him on our show before, obviously, but I talked about before the show a little bit. Uh, coach Bill McDonald was your head coach at South Carolina. Um, just sort of kind of talk about what he meant to you, because I know you, you know, each individual guy has like his own swing coaches. Obviously, you have your father there helping you as well. 
Um, but what did Bill McDonald mean to you? Because he seems like a guy that's made a big impact on his players during his time in Columbia. Yeah, I mean, during the recruitment process, it was very evident that he was going to be more of a, a fun coach to play for. And, uh, I mean, yeah, he, he had a, a disciplinarian side to him as well. But um, as far as just being a, a guy that's easy to talk to, fun to be around, um, as well as the biggest draw for me was the fact that he was a, a very good player as well, accomplished in his own right in the game. So knowing that I'd be able to still continue to learn from a guy that uh, was a really good player and had a strong playing background um, was very appetizing for me. For sure. So you get on campus in South Carolina again, 2008. In 2009, you're named All-SEC freshman team, uh, 2009 Ping All-Southeast Region. Like I mentioned, there's so many accolades here, I couldn't read them all off. But um, I know with golf, it's different because the game necessarily doesn't really change like in other sports where the speed of the game changes and stuff like that. But was there any transition for you going from, you know, high school golf to, I, I guess, team SEC golf? And was, was there any transition? All, is there any transition like that in the game of golf? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's still the same game, but the golf courses that you play as a junior golfer don't even compare to some of the tracks that you see uh, as you climb the ranks. And uh, the biggest transition is uh, you get thrown onto big-time golf courses. You're not playing uh, local munis. I mean, not to say that the courses were bad that we played in junior golf, but you just get introduced to a, a bigger style of golf. And you start playing from a lot longer and uh, the competition is a lot greater that you're stacking yourself up against. So uh, there definitely is a transition in the, the biggest part of that transition is playing bigger, tougher, longer golf courses. No doubt. So I'll finish off reading these accolades here because you go into your sophomore year, 2010. Uh, you were always academic on a roll. It's definitely one thing I want to mention. You were a good student as well, but 2010 all SEC second team ping all Southeast region, then 2011, again, academic honor roll. 2012, you were actually the team MVP. I'll just kind of ask you a generic question, Wesley, as far as your game during in college. What do you think were, you know, because I'm sure each year you made somewhat of a jump, if you will, leading into your 2012 year where you were the team MVP. What, what, did you, what would you say was the biggest jump your game made overall while you were in college? Uh, I mean, I came into school – with a really good short game, uh, wedged it really good. Really, the closer I got to the hole, the better I got. And uh, that was one thing that kind of stayed with me. Now, in school, there's uh, some real low points as well. But uh, by the end of my senior year, I felt like I had started to, I started to strike the ball a little bit better and, and hit it better. So um, that was kind of what rounded the, the game into – a better spot moving forward to professional golf. And, um, yeah, you're reading off all those accolades. And one thing that's missing that I'm still bitter about is never being an All-American and having my brother as a three-time All-American. That kind of ate at me a little bit. But, um, yeah, all in all, I felt like it was a long four years, but a short four years. It's college golf and playing a sport while trying to balance the academic side of things can be tough. And, um, golf is a sport that requires a lot of time, a lot of hours put into it. And it's not just to work out hard, get bigger, stronger, faster than the person across from you. And then um, you, you set yourself up for uh, success in the future that way. It's, it's more of a tedious game that you got to constantly be uh, honing every single day. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that senior year definitely was special for you. You know, you recorded a team high 17 rounds of par or better. You actually uh, – your career average was 73.23 for a round, which is actually ranked sixth in school history. I mean, the accolades go on and on again. Um, what do you think the reasoning was behind the, the, the All-American snub? I mean, is it something in golf where it's just the amount of times you're seen? Or, I mean, what's what kind of goes into that whole process? Uh, I mean, it, down at the end, it's pretty political. I, I felt like I got snubbed really my freshman and sophomore year. Um, I was ranked high enough to be able to, or especially my sophomore year. Uh, but I just didn't have enough, have enough high finishes either one of those years to really warrant being an All-American. But, um, I mean, it was – I felt like still looking back at it, some of the best golf I've ever played, but I just didn't quite cap off any – tournament uh either one of those years now my senior year i you could have made another case for it but um my junior year uh <laughs> there's there's no way around it it was it was pretty brutal now obviously you guys had solid teams while you were at south carolina i just want to get your perspective from maybe the people that either don't call it follow college golf very closely or don't really understand i mean how what is the margin, would you say, behind or between the best team and the team that's just on the outside looking in? Because I feel like it's just so close between all you guys, from the best team to even the second best, third best, fourth best, et cetera. Uh, yeah, my, my first couple of years, we had uh, some really good players on the team. And um, you look at the great programs, they've, they've got the top heavy guys that are some of the best players in the country. But Really, I feel like the difference is when you start getting to the three, four, and five players. If you have those players that can still go really low, shoot under par consistently, and be key contributors for you, that's uh, when you have a team that separates itself from the rest of the pack. But um, we we had a really good team my sophomore year. I think we were ranked inside the top ten pretty much all year, and uh, and. I mean, it didn't it didn't quite end the way we wanted it to at regionals, but um, uh, yeah, I, I would say just having the three, four, and five slot guys that are contributors week in and week out is very important. For sure. So your career, obviously, at South Carolina ends 2012. You also turned pro in 2012. Um, you know, Wesley, I just kind of want you to expand on the grind of professional golf because people hear the stories, and I've heard the stories as well through different people, but. I mean, just talk about what that was like because, you know, the success that you've had on the tour, um, I, I, could, I think you would, you would agree with me. You, you've earned it. I mean, it's not something that came overnight. It's just something you put hard work in and earned it. I mean, talk about kind of what the grind was like for you going from collegiate golf to turning professional. Right. I mean, it really starts uh, in junior golf when you start putting your goals and dreams together or what you want to do in the game and you continue to work at that through college. And then once you turn pro, everybody just gets started at ground zero, basically. And it doesn't matter what you've done in junior golf and amateur golf or college golf. Everybody has a clean slate. And um, I'll tell you one thing that made the transition a little bit easier was uh, getting married. I got married and graduated all in the same week. And so when I was starting my pro journey, I had a really good support system around me with a, phenomenal wife that was extremely supportive and whether I played great terrible or somewhere in between she was there to give me a hug and a kiss and say she loved me and she didn't she, she didn't really care how I played she just wanted to see me working hard and do what I love so um 
that that made the transition a little bit easier. But as far as some of those stories of playing mini tours, a lot of guys don't understand what it's like. You 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 turn professional and you've had everything given to you up to this point. Everywhere you go, you travel for free, you play in tournaments for free, you eat for free, you do all this stuff, and then as soon as you turn pro, now all of a sudden you're paying shoot anywhere from a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars each week to play in a tournament and then you gotta pay to get there and then you gotta pay to eat and then you gotta pay to get home and um i mean there's some financial burdens and stress that uh get thrown onto you uh as a guy in your early 20s a lot of people don't have that type of responsibility so it, it makes you grow up really quick for sure. What, was there ever, Wesley, for you, was there ever a moment where maybe you questioned, like, hey, that maybe this just isn't worth it. This isn't – I don't want to do this anymore. You've got your wife. You want to start a family, things of that nature. I mean, what, did that ever creep into your mind that maybe professional golf wasn't going to be your career, if you will? Uh, I mean, I got in a dark spot my junior year uh, of college, and some things started to hit the fan, and – it wasn't going like I'd hoped and completely lost my golf game. Shoot, couldn't hardly break 100 for a, a period of time and uh, really was questioning whether I, one, loved the game or two, could even play it at a professional level. And uh, But then when you turn pro, I, I always had just enough success to warrant keep going. And I gave myself a three-year plan. And if I if I felt like I was getting better at the end of, at the end of the year that it would warrant keep going and chasing it. And at the end of three years, if I felt like I hadn't gotten any better then I was going to hang it up. But uh, fortunately I, I started to see progress through the mini tour ranks. But like I said, I just, I, I barely stayed afloat for those years. It's, it's not like I had any crazy success on the mini tours or was out there making enough money to support a family uh it was just barely good enough to warrant uh moving forward and continuing to play for sure so wesley correct me if i'm wrong with the timeline of what happened for you but i would say 2016 you're kind of your breakout year on the web.com tour you had three victories at the uh, digital ally open the el bosque mexico championship and the I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Chittimacha, Louisiana Open. Um, just kind of talk about that year for you. You played in 15 events, made 11 cuts. You had seven top tens. And like I mentioned, the uh, the three victories as well as one second place finish. Just talk about that year overall. I'm assuming that's also the year you earned, you, uh, earned your tour card. That had to be really a breakout moment for you in that year. Yeah, it was. And like what a lot of people don't see is what it took to get to that point, all the struggling on the mini tours for those four years. I mean, those are long four years that you go questioning whether you're ever going to make it. And then uh, in 2015 in December, I finally got through Q school and my fourth go at it. And um, that was when I realized like, Hey, you know what? I finally uh, accomplished a goal of mine and that was to get on the web.com tour. Um, but then for some reason, my game just got taken to another level. And the first event of the year, I found myself in contention playing in one of the last couple groups and had a chance to win. And that kind of validated that my game was good enough to compete on that level. And then as the year got going, I got on a little bit of a heater and uh, knocked down a few of them and got my PGA Tour card uh, in the middle of the season, actually, and was able to start playing out 
what I had as a childhood dream, and that was to play on the PGA Tour. For sure. So I know I jumped a little bit ahead. I want to go back a little bit because in 2014, I would say something uh, something fairly monumental happened for you. You and your brother start Brian Brothers Golf. You guys have blown up the first video in 2014. Absolutely blown up since then. Over 33,000 subscribers on YouTube, uh, over 20,000 followers on Twitter, 144,000 on Instagram. Obviously extremely popular starting with the trick shots and it's kind of evolved. You're doing different like vlogs and stuff, your brother George taking over, doing a lot of it, but just kind of talk about, you know, obviously everybody loves watching those videos, especially the trick shot videos, but just kind of, I guess, talk about where the idea came from and what made you, what made you guys want to start doing it? Well, I mean, shoot, we were two broke mini tour golfers and we saw a video that made ESPN one day and these I guess they were high school kids just hit a ball out of midair and it was one of the top plays. And I was like, man, I just, it doesn't look that hard. So obviously it's uh, a couple uh, creative geniuses as some would say, uh, we just wanted to go out there and try it. And I found that I could hit the ball pretty well out of midair. And we started pumping out a couple videos just and our, our friends, they liked it and started to share it and, it kind of blew up in our face. And uh, in that 2014 year, we uh, had the opportunity to go to a lot of really cool places, do a lot of really cool things. And for the first time in our life, uh, be able to show a little bit of a, a net profit. And uh, we enjoyed the fact that we could go out there, mess around, have fun, uh, put some things on uh, social media and, get paid for it so that was really cool and uh it, it really freed us up to like i said those financial burdens that weigh on you in mini tour golf now all of a sudden we're not worried about uh those entry fees as much as we were and uh it, it freed us up to play a little bit better golf as well no doubt. So it, I know there's a ton of them, obviously. I mean, there's literally so many. I haven't, I probably say I'd watched about a third of them, but if you had to pick one trick shot or one video you guys did, which one would you say is your favorite? I, I would say the one we had the most fun with, we went over to Alabama and did a video with these uh, basketball trick shot guys called Legendary Shots. And uh, I mean, that video is still one of the more popular golf videos on youtube uh, shoot i think it's got a couple million views on it now maybe a little more um and we were just hitting basketballs into hoops uh we were just messing around for like two days in alabama and uh that was probably my my most fun video that we did that's awesome so 2017 like we mentioned you get your uh your pga tour card 2016 2017 again is another you know, I would say breakout year for you. You know, you play 60 events on the PGA Tour, made 34 cuts, made over $3 million that year. Got your first PGA Tour win uh, at the 2017 RBC Heritage down in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Um, before, I guess, we talk about the actual tournament itself, I mean, just winning that tournament in that location so close to home, I mean, how, how cool was that? Because I imagine you had to have plenty of family and friends all around you during that week. Yeah, it was a really special week. It was my first heritage that I got to play in, and uh, I was a little bit chapped the year before. I wanted a, a sponsor's invite to because at that point I was pretty close. I'd pretty much locked up my PGA Tour card by that point in the season, and 
wanted to get a crack at it just to see what it was like. And uh, as the chips fell, I didn't I didn't get a sponsor's invite into it. So my first one in 2017 had a lot of family and friends out there. And uh, as I got into contention, it and later on the weekend the the fans, I guess the local fans started to get behind me a little bit more. They got a little bit louder and uh, Easter Sunday rolled around and for me to be able to get my first PGA tour win in front of all my family and friends. And shoot, we had, we had a, basically a small army out there following me around, which was awesome. Um, yeah. It's still kind of surreal to look back at it. If, if there was one event on the PGA tour, that's not a major that, would mean the most it's that one and uh yeah still got the plaid jacket in the closet and i'll see it just about daily <laughs> that's awesome so i'll ask you was there anything going into that week that maybe felt different to you did you think that could be a special week i mean what was kind of your thought process i guess going into the the week of the heritage uh the only thing different was it was a golf course it, it was the first time on tour where i stepped on a golf course that i was really familiar with that I had played countless number of times already and uh, I didn't feel like I was giving anything up. Like every, every single week I'm playing against guys that have been on tour 10, 15, 20 years and they've seen golf courses hundreds and hundreds of times. And here I am seeing it for the first time that week. So it puts you at a disadvantage from the start. And now I finally stepped on a golf course that, I mean, yeah, I hadn't played it hundreds of times but I've definitely seen it double digit times and was familiar with it and it was a tournament that I'd gone to uh, as a spectator plenty of times I watched my dad play in it so I was really familiar with the area with the golf course and uh, it it made it a little bit easier of a transition that week uh, as opposed to other weeks and and then yeah it coupled that with I was in really good form leading up to it and uh yeah the rest is history literally yeah no doubt so yeah you won that by one shot actually over Luke Donald uh two shots by Cantlay Schneider Jans McGirt pretty solid field um correct me if I'm wrong I believe you came behind on that last day actually to win it I mean when you went to that final day what was the number in your head you're like I need to get to this number because you shot 67 which again was good enough by one shot but was there a number in your head where you're like I need to shoot this to win today no there wasn't really any number and if you'd asked me to start the day I probably would have said a little bit I would have had to go on a little bit lower than that but just as the day went on nobody was really making a heavy push and there wasn't a lot of birdies being made and um, I kind of got comfortable there on the back nine and uh made a couple birdies and found myself at the top of the leaderboard and and nobody really uh did anything special coming down the stretch and I mean yeah I would probably said I needed to shoot in that 65 to 64 range to to feel somewhat confident that no one was going to catch me but turns out 67 that day was good enough and uh and I mean I think I was maybe three or four shots down going into the final round so it was I got yeah. There, I definitely got a little bit lucky, but I also uh, felt like as the um, as the day went on, uh, I did what was necessary to get the win, and it was really special. 
No doubt. So again, you have the plaid jacket in your closet. You got that win, 2017 RBC Heritage. You had six other top 10 finishes that year, but do you feel like that was the moment for you where you were kind of like, you know, I've arrived on the tour. Like I, I know now for a fact I belonged. Was that, was that a moment that came before that? I mean, when did you have this sort of that moment? Like I'm on the PGA tour. I'm a PGA tour golfer. I know that for a fact that, you know, you don't have any questions about your game or anything like that. Uh, really that first week, uh, that I got myself in contention was at Riviera, uh, where Dustin Johnson ended up winning. But for the better part of the weekend, I was up at the top of that leaderboard in a really stacked field. I mean, one of the best fields on the PGA Tour. And um, stumbled a little bit coming down the stretch to finish fourth. And then the very next week uh, in Florida, I had the lead going into the weekend and was at the top of that leaderboard all weekend until again, Sunday, Ricky Fowler played really well and ended up knocking that one down. And I had another, I had back to back top fives. And then a week later, I down in Florida, down in Tampa uh, was near the top of that leaderboard all weekend and had another top 10 finish there. So that those three weeks in a row were um, basically the, the launch pad, so to speak, or that, that was when I knew it's not that I had arrived, but I knew that, uh, if I play really good golf, even at this level, I can compete. And if I felt at that point, it was just a matter of time before I won. Cause I was getting all that experience, uh, dealing with all that pressure, what I thought was pretty well, but, um, just made a few key mistakes. So I knew if I had got myself in that position again and, and kind of cleaned up some of the mistakes that I had made, uh, that, I was knocking on the door and then all of it culminated into uh, what happened at the heritage. No doubt. So let's move a little bit ahead to late 2018. Obviously let's talk about the shoulder. Uh, You were battling through a shoulder injury. I know you were played in, I think three or four events with drew from the fifth event late in 2018. Um, You had surgery on your shoulder, your labrum labrum uh, had to have uh, surgery on that. Um, Kind of just talk about what it was like going through that injury, because I know I read an article where you, the way you coped with it, I thought was really impressive. Just saying perfect timing because your, uh, your daughter, you had a daughter that was born in December. Just sort of talk about going through that injury and how you're able to cope with it, with a family being around you. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I played through, I mean, a lot longer than I should have. I mean, really the second half of the season in 2018, I knew it was not right and that in that off season, I was going to get it looked at, but I mean, I I played hurt for the better part of six months and kind of had enough. My wife was pregnant and uh, we were expecting a child in December. So uh, really just a couple of weeks before she was born uh, or a month or so when I withdrew from uh, down there at Sea Island, I went and got it looked at found out that I was going to have to have surgery and I mean the timing like you said was phenomenal we welcomed our daughter into the world uh December 15th a short while later I had surgery and have had the better part of six months now just to watch her grow and uh it's been it's been a blessing for sure no doubt. So backtrack a little because I can't believe I skipped over this, but obviously with you winning the Heritage in 2017, 2018, you play in your first ever Masters, um, which I know had to be, I mean, is every kid's dream, right? So it was a huge deal for you. Obviously, the week didn't go the way you wanted. You uh, you got cut in that one. But just 
I mean, just talk about being able to walk the hallowed grounds and play in the Masters tournament. Again, I, I imagine something you've been dreaming about since you, you know, picked up a golf club. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt it was. Um, I mean, it's it's like it's every kid's dream to play in the Masters, and there's really not a close second. I had played in the PGA Championship. I played in the U.S. Open. I played in the British Open. And, I mean, you put all those experiences into one, and it doesn't even come close to what the Masters felt like. It's just it's – a, it's a different feeling. It's, I mean, the best golf course on planet Earth the best manicured golf course on planet earth and uh it was the, the thing that made it really special was the fact that i was living in augusta at the time and uh got to sleep in my own bed and just make the drive that i, I usually just drive right past the gate and slow down a little bit look in there give it a wave and move on and i actually got to drive down magnolia i mean all week it was phenomenal for and sure. then, yeah, I missed the cut. That sucked, but <laughs> it was still it was still a cool experience. No doubt. So one thing, it's funny, you know, I was looking up kind of your experience at Augusta National. One of the articles that pops up from USA Today was your uh, your Taco Bell belt. So I want you to kind of go in detail with. I know the, I guess the fame grew with you with Taco Bell after you won the RBC Heritage. You went with your wife to Taco Bell, I believe, and you led to a sponsorship from those guys, and you were wearing the the Taco Bell belt um, at, at the Augusta National, at the Masters, and you're also sporting golf balls with the Taco Bell logo. I mean, are you just a big Taco Bell? I mean, are you that big of a Taco Bell guy? Is that like a thing for you where you're like constantly getting Taco Bell? What's the story behind that? Yeah, so, I mean, growing up, Taco Bell was always um, one of my favorite spots to eat. And I, uh, when I won my first web event, it got – a lot of social media play when me and my brother stopped at Taco Bell. And then uh, we were uh, fortunate enough to win another one. And again, the tradition kind of began. And then I, uh, after the heritage, that's kind of when it blew up and led to a sponsorship deal with Taco Bell. And, uh, and now they're a great partner of mine. For sure. So one of the other funny things I want to talk to you about, Wesley, you, you've been a guy that you're very well known for, your epic club drops. Um, I know the one specifically that I think is like one of the best ones I've ever seen is the one where you hit the drive, drop the club and hold the pose. Um, just, just kind of talk about once you saw that video, I mean, were you able to get a good laugh out of it? I'm sure the shot during the time wasn't very funny to you, but I mean, just, just, uh, just talk about what makes you so good at the club drop, man. I don't know. I guess it was just one of those gifts that I grew up with. I've, I mean, I would love to be able to hold on to the club better, but um, yeah, there's times when you get to the top of the backswing down at impact from, from the top of the backswing to impact, you know, something's going wrong. And my natural instinct is just to let go of the club. So um, I've kind of held that crown the last couple of years as the best club dropper on tour. And I'm trying to move forward and move past that and be, uh, hold, <laughs> I'm trying to hold my follow through more often. That's, that's the goal of mine when I come back. Do you remember, like, how bad that shot was? Do you remember how bad the shot was? Because I don't remember the shot specifically, but I'm sure you do. Yeah, I remember. It went way right. Um, a lot of cameras on me playing with, I think, Jordan Spieth and Brant Snedeker or something. And uh, I, I remember it went about 60 yards right. <laughs> I think I ended up making par on the hole. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. Well, Wesley, before I let you go, I want to ask you one last question. When you look back on your career at South Carolina, whether it be 
on the golf course, off the golf course, in the dorm with your buddies, in the bus, whatever it may be, what would you say is your favorite memory you would take away from your time at South Carolina? Favorite memory? Um, man, I'm telling you, one of the it's, – it's not a favorite memory, but uh, it really kind of summarizes what golf is all about. Uh, I had just made a nine on a par three for us to not make it to nationals. Very last all the tournament. I think all I needed to do was make a triple or something. Anyway, I, I ended up making a nine. Uh, that's a story for a whole nother day. But um, that car ride to Chili's actually was one of the most brutal car rides. Nobody said a word, but we were going to eat after. And 30 minutes into it, we all were having a good time laughing, reminiscing on our uh, final round. It was my brother's final round of college golf. And we had a couple other seniors as well. And that was just a really cool moment that we got to just kind of forget about what happened and just enjoy each other and have one last meal together as, as a college team. And we had a really good season uh, that we, we could celebrate over and I uh, just didn't end the way we wanted it, but it was a, it was a lasting memory, not the best memory for the coaches and the team, but uh, it was still pretty special. No doubt. Well, Wesley, appreciate you taking the time, man. Obviously, best of luck with the rehab and recovery and hope to obviously see you back out there on the PGA Tour very soon. Well, I'll obviously be keeping up with your uh, with your career and, yeah, hope to either see you get a repeat win at RBC Heritage, hopefully get back to Augusta National or really just get any win on tour, man. would love to see the success, obviously. So, appreciate you taking the time. Let's, uh, let's definitely do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. All right, perfect. So for Wesley Ryan, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. All right, appreciate it, man. That was awesome. Really, really do appreciate you taking yes, the time. Sir. So, hey, really seriously, best, best of luck with the recovery, man, and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, boss. Later.